you know, sometimes when you're sitting with a couple, it feels like you're sitting with a pair of siblings and they're both pointing at the other one going, it's him, it's her, it's him, it's her. And you're like, I'm not the parent here. This is, we're going to, we have to change this dynamic. You're listening to Lead Him to Life, where it's our prerogative to explore what it means to be authentically human and fully alive. We have far more questions than answers, but believe that extraordinary answers can be found in the ordinariness of a journey. I'm your host, Emily Leadham. Hello, friends, and welcome to this episode of Lead Him to Life. I am really excited about this episode because I am sitting down with Jennifer Lair. Jennifer, your team reached out to me and um, said, hey, we want you to meet Jennifer. We think that you would uh, love having her on the podcast. And I started looking at all of the different um, ideas, the things that you talk about, and it was all the things that I'm excited about. So um, I was delighted to meet you. Jennifer, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, first, I'm happy to be here talking with you. So um, so I'm a marriage family therapist, and I am the author of Weconcile, which is an educational program for couples to improve their relationships. And um, I had a pretty dismal start in relationships, so I've done a lot of personal work. Did and, that start young or when yes, you were married? Or? Young. Okay. okay. So young. I grew up in a family. My father was I had a rage problem. Okay. My mother was pretty disconnected from her feelings. So it wasn't um, a warm, cuddly house. Yeah, no joke. Know, it wasn't a house where people said, I love you. Okay. So I, I got into like, I think I got, a, I started the relationship path um, sort of um, with a deficit, we'll say. And so my earlier relationships were difficult. And um, I, Eventually, I got into the 12-step program. I got into um, therapy. Eventually decided to become a therapist. Uh, did a lot of training, a lot of learning. Did couples therapy with my first husband, who I'm no longer married to. Okay. Um, and I'm in a second marriage, which is much, much better. Um, largely because uh, my second uh, husband is much more interested and capable of doing psychological work with me. Um, and I'm someone who likes to dig deep. Okay. Yeah. So I'm in a really good marriage right now. Yeah. So for you going through that process of your own healing, um, you said you kind of started to dive into just uh, some of the psychological, the psychology of yourself, of why am I the way that I am? Um, can you just start maybe by talking a little bit about the role of self-awareness for mm -hmm. people in marriage? Because you work with couples, you know, you, you just said you have launched this Weconcile program. We'll come back to that. But a lot of that has to do with looking at yourself. Right. Right. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, sometimes when you're sitting with a couple, it feels like you're sitting with a pair of siblings and they're both pointing at the other one going, it's him, it's her, it's him, it's her. And you're like, I'm not the parent here. This is, we're going to, we have to change this dynamic. And it's because we often can't look at what our part is. Mm -hmm. So self-awareness is really interesting because if we look at attachment theory, um, depending on how we're raised, children that, let's suppose you had a caregiver that um, was really, um, didn't accept your feelings. Okay. Well, and you need that caregiver. So what are you going to do? You're going to probably cut off from your feelings. Yeah. And so if you cut off from your feelings, you're going to lose awareness. Um, 
you're going to lose awareness of, you know, what's going on because you had to cut that off in order to stay attached to this person who wouldn't accept your feelings. That's just one example of, you know, many, many, many scenarios. And so self-aware, you know, often you meet people where, and this is not always gender related, but it can be. Um, and I'm going to say it in a gender way this at this time, which is sometimes there's certain men that all have difficulty getting into their, their feelings. Mm -hmm. um, they're more vulnerable feelings. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure why that is um, exactly. And that's not true of all men. There's plenty of men that can, can do the work, but it's more common for a man to have difficulty accessing his feelings than a, a woman. And you actually have to know. So here's an example. Let's suppose um, you got in a fight and, with your partner and you're really upset and you're not even sure what happened. It's like it exploded in front of me. If you were to find the trigger, you have to identify a trigger. So the trigger might be my partner uh, ignored me when I was talking to her. And all of a sudden you were enraged mm -hmm. and you don't, all you know is you went from zero to 10, but you don't know what actually happened. You don't know what the thought was you had. You don't know what the initial, the feeling under the anger was. You don't know what was happening in your body before you hit red. In other words, you don't even know the, the warning signals. So with a person like that, you'd have to slow them down and open that whole process up so that they could go from zero to one to two to three to four and stop themselves before they got to a 10, for example. So in that scenario, what might be somebody's thought that they're not even aware of? Um, so let's suppose I was talking and you weren't listening. You don't, you don't care about me. You don't think I'm important. Mm -hmm. I'm not good enough. Uh, that kind of thing could be so really lies, lies that yeah. kind of start to become a truth or, or something right. they're, well, they're, real. They're, they're lies, but they're, they're already wired in because yeah. they came from childhood. <sighs> Usually. Man. Yeah, so yeah. The, it's already, neuro, it's not pasted on. They're not inventing this. This is real. It's this not is real. Fault. For, yes. 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 Nobody's yeah. fault. It's yeah. just that something happened. You know, they had thousands of interactions with their parents caregivers, somebody somewhere along the, line, along the line, somehow without probably intending, gave them the message that I'm not going to listen to you. Mm -hmm. So when it happens now, it's or those neuro uh, tracks are already there and the, the, it just fires, goes right from, you know, the trigger to the result. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about those neurotracks. So when you and I met a couple of weeks ago, this is one of the things that we ended up chatting about. And it was, you were talking about kind of the neurochemistry of love and relationships and just what's actually happening in the brain when we fall in love or uh, maybe even when we have been in love for a while. Um but that starts to, that feeling, if you will, starts to soften. What the heck is going on in the brain? So when we fall in love, it's a delicious cocktail of chemicals. <laughs> <laughs> I love basically, it. Basically, the brain releases dopamine and neuro, neuro I can't even pronounce this one, norepinephrine. Yep. And so that activates the, the brain's reward system, which is, sort of like the addictive system of the brain. It's the same, um, some of the same stuff that happens if you get into an addiction. Mm -hmm. So you actually are, you know, addicted. There's an addiction process going on. And at the same time, the, um, 
certain chemicals get suppressed, which actually makes you, it shuts down some of your brain in such a way that you actually aren't that logical. You're just in the in love feeling. Uh huh. So the in love feeling is very chemical. Okay. And it can't be sustained forever. It's not, it's, I mean, you, you can have cycles of falling back in love, but the initial I'm in love and we're having this rush of these chemicals that will eventually transition to more attachment love, which is more oxytocin based, which comes from safety and trust. Okay. So let's start with the not thinking logical component. This That's so it's kind of comical to me because I think there's been times, especially when I have seen um, young couples early in love, that um, it's almost like, what in the heck? You know, or or you just want to, okay, can you actually just take a step back here for a second and realize what's going on or whatever? Right, um, right. Even if they're a great couple and, and things are really good. But for for somebody that has maybe been in a relationship a little bit longer, there can almost be at times this perceived obnoxiousness to a young couple in love. And I have to remind myself all the time, like, no, that's a really good thing. And so I lean into it instead of kind of resisting it. Yeah. Um, but but that's kind of what you're describing is there's yes. this, this, ha- this neurochemical process happening where it just doesn't totally make sense. And it's love is blind. It's the whole love is blind thing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So yeah, you're actually not Seeing that clearly, I mean, there's, you know, if you go with Imago uh, theory, Imago therapy theory, that's Harville Hendricks, um, the idea is that you attract in someone to help you finish your unfinished business. And that's part of, you know, what you pull in uh, into your into uh, a romantic partner, you know, someone who will trigger all the hard stuff. So you will have to do the work of finishing who you are and creating a, a changing yourself in the process Mm -hmm. of, it's a relational growth path. That's Mm -hmm. what marriage is basically. So how can couples keep those neuroepinephrines up and running, especially as they they can't. Oh, (laughs) they can't. So, so what happens is eventually as there's, um, uh, let's suppose there's conflict and disagreements. And all of a sudden you realize this very strange person that you've fallen in love with is very different than who you are. And, there's things like, you know, that people do have moments where they're like, this is, I wasn't so, I, this, I would, I thought this was, uh, we were more merged than this. Mm-hmm. So, but what happens is at, so if you build, if the conflict happens, there's disappointment, there's um, all these other feelings. Well, that, that will not keep the dopamine going up. I mean, that's a whole different thing. So, in order to keep the relationship connected, the relationship grows into an oxytocin based relationship, which is where when you touch, like if you um, are nursing a baby, for instance, you would have yeah. a lot of oxytocin. Yeah. If you're cuddling. Bonding or hormone, right? Yes. Yes. And so that's where relationships are headed to build trust, build oxytocin. You're out of the way high excitement phase, which doesn't mean you can't, you know, regenerate it at times, but it won't be a constant like the falling in love period. Mm-hmm. Instead, you have more, you know, you hold hands, you feel connected, you trust this person, they have your back, you have their back. That's what, um, so instead of falling in love, you learn to love. It's a oh, different thing. That yeah. is really, yeah. So, so when you say, instead of falling in love, you learn to love, um, the thing that initially strikes me in that is that that requires actually a level of sacrifice of us. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that it requires going back to what you had said initially, um, people to do the work, you know, right. to do the work of maintaining and continuing to foster intimacy as spouses, it requires increasing amounts of work in order to create that bond. Correct. Right. Yeah. And so what I would say is it's not necessarily sacrifice. I mean, it okay. might be, but it's yes. acceptance. It's more acceptance. I say more about this. that. Well, I accept this person. I accept this person had a different history than me. I accept this person doesn't like these certain things that that I do that that you know I need to look at. You know, can I can I make this easier for this person? I accept that um, we're not the same. Um, it may involve sacrifice, but it doesn't necessarily. I don't feel like there's. I don't feel like my life with my partner is uh, that there's sacrifice there. Mm. It feels like it's an adjustment to becoming two people who can. Um, give to each other and sort of uh, blend our abilities. Um, and then the piece about doing the work, um, there's definitely work to do. If you want your relationships, don't just like, it's not magic. Mm-hmm. It You can make it magical, but mm-hmm. you have to do the work. Mm-hmm. Like Dorothy going down the yellow brick, you know, road. Yeah. She did end up, you know, she did do this magical journey, but there was work involved. There were, you know, she had to deal with the witches and the this and the that. There were like things she had to deal with that right. were difficult. Right. It's not just a bre- a walk through the park. Right. <laughs> uh, I have to tell you, you know, it, it I think a year ago, um, you saying I have to accept that this person is a different person than me would have had no real um you know, it wouldn't have stirred much in me, but I had an experience just a few months ago where uh, in prayer, I was just bringing something before God that that my husband and I were kind of on different pages with, if you will. And I value really strongly being on the same page with my husband. We're dancing well together, that kind of thing. So this was disrupting me, right? And one of the things that came from this experience, this this kind of wrestling with this was the realization, which sounds is going to sound so dumb to 99% of people in the world, um, but it was this realization that he is a different person, that right. we are not the same exact person. Right. And there was a realization that, okay, God is working on me in this situation and God is working on him in this situation. And eventually I'm really confident that we're going to come together, but he's right now not working on in us he's working on us as individuals so that we can get does that make sense yeah no it makes absolute sense because what you're what happens is we get into relationships and we just assume unconsciously that we've met our perfect match and that we're sort of identical mm-hmm. i mean not in how we look but just in you know we'll need the same things we'll like it just feels like there's a mer- and then when the what ha- so what we end up getting confronted with oh this person doesn't like what I like. They don't want to do, I want to travel and they want to stay home. I mean, there can be really big differences mm-hmm. and we develop. So we're moving out of a one person system, like the baby on the breast. It's a one person system. Really. There's not really that much sense of, of, um, there's more of a sense of, I'm going to get what I need. It's always going to be supplied. I'm going to get, as opposed to a two person system, which is building a bridge between two different beings in two different worlds. It's, and it's a developmental step to move from, like if you're very highly narcissistic, you would live in a, a one-person system. Right. You would think everybody would, you know, you wouldn't understand. You wouldn't be able to step into someone else's shoes. Mm-hmm. That's a one-person system. Two-person mm-hmm. system means you know, oh, just what, like you and your husband. Oh, 
He has his God. He's got God. I've got God. We both are, you know, in our own uh, learning process. And the, as we grow, we'll come together, but we're two different people. Mm-hmm. So how do you help couples to meet on the bridge? Is that the analogy you use that you have yeah, one person yeah. over here, one person over here? Yeah. And the goal, right, is that we would align hearts, minds, bodies, everything mm-hmm. um, in in the uh, covenant of marriage. So how do you kind of get people um, on that bridge together? Well, connected and united. Well, it depends. First of all, it depends what, what's going on that they're not feeling connected. Okay. What what is happening? So if they're, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Where are they having problems? Like what's going on? You sort of have to know that to, to address how to get them onto the bridge because different people have different, but generally people get caught in the conflict level of the problem. Like whose parent's house do we go to for the holidays Mm -hmm. or what do we spend money on or how do we discipline our children, which, but underneath that there's deep feelings and those feelings are, do you care about what I want? Do you want to understand me? Uh, Will you not abandon me? Um, That kind of deep, there's deep attachment feelings down there. And so you've got to get the couple to move out of the surface level of the conflict and stop bad behavior, like for instance, you know, people are yelling and screaming at each other. Mm-hmm. You've got to get them both to recognize, well, we're both, what, what are you doing? What am I doing? How do we stop this behavior? And then you've got to get them down into what's really going on, which is, I feel like I'm not good enough for you, or I feel like you don't care about me, or I feel like whenever I need you, you're not there for me. I feel like you never listen to me. I mean, there's all these big things that actually have to get brought up. And sometimes you've got wounds. Usually there's wounds around them. So maybe, you know, again, like I spoke earlier, maybe the one parent didn't listen to you and it's a wound. You have to, if you can remember the events, you can say, Hey, this is a wound for me when I was blah, blah, blah. This is what happened. And I, I always felt like I was never listened to. And I always got pushed aside and my older sister got all the attention. And so when you do that, it takes me right back there and it's very painful. So if you can start having that kind of dialogue, your partner can understand, oh, that's why my partner's struggling. I, that makes sense. I get it. Um, that's one way of starting to bridge stuff. Do you find that once you can start naming it, um, there's freedom for people? Does that make sense? Like, I think I, I just am thinking in, I'm not sure your religious background, but for me as a Christian, there's really this beautiful experience of when I can start to name some of these things, mm-hmm. I find that they no longer define me or they no longer have the amount of weight over right. me. Yeah. Um, and I can kind of start to surrender surrender that, whether it's to the Lord or whether it's to the people in my life, to my husband uh, or friends, you know, whatever that might be. And then it's like, I feel an increased sense of freedom and I'm not, what's psychologically happening in that? Yeah. So that's, you're bringing it. So there's, that's, so one healing path is the individual path. And that's what you're talking about right now, which Mm -hmm. is as you speak stuff and identify stuff, you're able to release it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, that is certainly a way of healing. The other healing path is, is your partner re- correcting, oh, that's the wrong word, mending the previous hurts by showing up for you differently than your history had showed up for you. Wow. And that's, and when that happens and that has to happen a number of times, uh, small, a number, you know, repetitively, so that you can actually rewire and start not expecting the pain, but expecting your partner to show up for you differently and trusting it. 
And what an act of love. Right. Right. You know, what a, what a movie, just as you're, as you're describing that, even I'm, I'm thinking, wow, how incredible um, of a gift to give someone to help them, to help your spouse rewire maybe that cycle of negative thought or behavior or fear, whatever that's going to be. Right. Husband that has a fear of never being good enough. Right. The wife to say, I see you. I recognize that. And I'm going to really intentionally love you in that place Mm -hmm. by showing how much you provide, how grateful we are, how, um, whatever that is. Right. Right. That's kind of what you're describing. Yes. It's a little bit more complicated in the sense that usually where the one person needs the support is the place where the other person is also wounded. So the wife might have to say, I am so appreciative of the support you you bring to our family. And I still need an hour a week of us to sit down and hang out together. And because I have emotional needs too. Mm -hmm. So in other words, let's assuming the person was working too much and not available. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a reason that person's doing that. That could be, for instance, they're providing, they're caught in that whole thing, but the, the other person might still have a need. So it's bringing both, you know, it's, it's both. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if you were sitting down with a couple who has been um, struggling with a myriad of different things, right? They're kind of on, maybe they're just, they're not feeling connected. And I know you said earlier, it kind of depends on the why. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some practical tips, tools, activities, whatever, homework um, that you might offer them to to start somewhere, to start doing the work? Um, well, I talk about this a lot, actually. So a relationship is often a closed system. In other words, you and your partner are bringing in what you know and who you are, but you're not, there's no new, I mean, there may be some new knowledge coming in, but you're not necessarily reading books on relationships or taking a workshop or seeing a therapist. The system is somewhat closed, so you don't have new tools. You're doing what you know how to do best. So you want to open the system up, which means you want, read a book about relationships, take a relationship workshop get some counseling, uh, something to bring in new uh, ways of looking at things and dealing with things. Because often couples get stuck because they don't have anything new. They're stuck in where they're at and they need something new to bring in. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's the first thing to be aware that relationships tend to be closed systems uh, and you tend, you need, generally need to, it's hard to fix a relationship without any new, like this podcast, that's going to give people new information to bring into their system, to bring into their couple system that they can use to, to make changes. Hopefully. So that's the first thing. <laughs> yeah. The second thing is, um, um, I, I think, I mean, the way I see it is, um, and I'm going, there's two different directions. One is like actual tips, hold hands more, eye gazing, uh, that kind of stuff, which just brings in more physical closeness and increases oxytocin. But before you get to that, I think you have to really all, you have to talk about what's working, what's not working, what are our goals, where are we on the same page, where are our strengths, where are we struggling? So you sort of have to do an assessment with each other of where you're at. You have to look at your cycle, which is um, someone comes home late, the other person gets upset, so the first person slams the door, so the other person cries. That's a cycle. So you have mm-hmm. to say, what's our cycle and how do we stop it? The third thing is get into attachment, which is the figuring out what you're feeling underneath all the upsetment. I feel abandoned. I don't feel valuable enough. 
So you have to dig down and find that, find that part of yourself that has that voice and start working with your talking with your partner about what's really going on underneath. Very hard for couples to do without help, but it can be done. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a whole bunch of that. Those are the first three steps, just in terms of generally, how do we start dismantling this pattern we're stuck in? Mm-hmm. Now, if you want specific tips in terms of how do you feel more closeness, you want to spend time, do dates, spend time together. Um, um, all those common sense things. Yeah, all those common sense things. However, if, you, if you're really struggling and you don't feel safe with your partner or you don't trust your partner, that stuff's not going to help it right away because right. It's, it's pasted on top of something that's more difficult. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to the first recommendation that you offered of holding hands more or eye, you said eye gazing, eye gazing. to mm-hmm. increase um, oxytocin. Um, do you feel like that opens the door for greater intimacy, which allows couples to start looking at, okay, what actually is our cycle? Um, what are our vicious cycle and how do we interrupt it? Because I think that's a pretty vulnerable thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of have to have a certain level of trust to be able to go there or to name, right. Um, right. you know, the attachments yes. that are underlying, right? Because Yeah. Yeah. So the eye gazing is vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And vulnerability is a key to intimacy. Mm-hmm. Um, without vulnerability, you're not going to get very far. Mm-hmm. Um, and the eye gazing does, um, you really start seeing the other, you're like, oh, I, this is the person I love, you know, mm-hmm. and it does open your heart. So, mm-hmm. and if it doesn't, then what's going on? What are you feeling? What are you experiencing? Mm-hmm. Are you afraid? Is is Are things so shut down that, that you're that it's because if eye gazing doesn't doesn't do that opening, then there's something massive there that has to be dealt with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I'm going to throw out an observation that I have seen, and I want to know if you would agree with this or not. Okay. You you had talked about the vulnerability being a key component of intimacy, of feeling that connectedness. I feel like the that intimacy, that vulnerability, is kind of a slow. It's a slow dial down, if that mm-hmm. makes sense, and mm-hmm. a slow dial up in that I think there's a lot of couples that are not in a bad place or they wouldn't say we're in a bad place, but they might say, you know, we're running kids all over the place. Yeah, I just feel like we're not totally connected. We, um, you know, haven't had a date night in a while because global pandemic, whatever. Um, and and it's almost like this subtle thing where uh, it, it wasn't a key one moment that disrupted vulnerability or intimacy, but a slow progression of events that made them feel more and more and more disconnected. Right. That made it more difficult then to get back into um, a deep in- into deep intimacy. Right. So, would you agree? It, well, I agree that you know the business, the busyness of life does keep us from connecting not only with our partners but with ourselves. Mm-hmm. So. So the busyness can be a real um, uh, gate between where we want to be and uh, where we actually are. So yes, slowing down and making time to connect allows for sure uh, more vulnerability. Some Mm -hmm. people are also just better at vulnerability than others, whether it's- Why is that? Well, I think for some people it's uh, nurture and some people it's nature. Like I have a brother who is, I think he would be- have a lot of trouble with vulnerability, hmm. just 
and that's nature. Mm-hmm. I mean, it might be nurture too, but for him, it's nature. My mm-hmm. mother, my mother couldn't be vulnerable. Uh, I think she was on the um, high functioning autistic spectrum. You know, uh, mm-hmm. what's we used to be called aut- uh, Aspergers, um, and so you know that that can. But also, it's and it can be it can be nature, which is, I mean, n- nurture, which is you were raised where it's not safe to be vulnerable. You know, then mm-hmm. then if you just don't have that falling in love. That isn't the true vulnerability. Vulnerability is when you're in your regular life and you can both stop and say, Oh, I, you know, I'm really feeling this and, or that really hurt my feelings when you did that. And, um, you know, I, I need to know that you'll be there for me. I mean, vulnerability is, um, yeah, it comes more from that place of being able to share what hurts you. And just like the, um, what is, what's this, the velveteen rabbit and was it the Velveteen Rabbit? The rabbit that loved and, um, uh, yeah, I think it's the Velveteen Rabbit. That little rabbit had no ears and no but its button eyes fell off and it was yeah. this raggedy mess. But yeah. it was lovable because of all of its injuries. Mm. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I'm, like, still pondering the the fact that you said some people are just better at vulnerability and some people are are, are not as good at vulnerability. And, um I, I, it's kind of funny. I've, I've said this before on the podcast, but my friends give me a hard time because they're like, Emily, not everybody is ready to go to level 10 as quickly as you are. And there's been times where I'm like, man, am I, is there something wrong with me? Or, or I feel really rejected when people don't return vulnerability, right. if that yeah. makes sense. Right. Um, thankfully I married a man that's like, let's dive right into those places. Yeah. Um, but so, so it's like, a, Oh, not everybody is just wired that way. Exactly. They're not wired that way or it's scary for them. Mm. They're raised in such a way it's scary. I mean, am I really going to stick my neck out if someone might chop it? Mm-hmm. Probably not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's almost a, we have to begin practicing like a muscle. We have to begin stretching that muscle of vulnerability, especially with our spouse, especially if we haven't done it for a while. If we And, that and you can't do it unless you feel safe. Mm. Now, whether that safety is, you know, real, that sense of not being safe is real in terms of the actual situation or just a ghost from the past, you still have to create the environment that both partners feel safe mm-hmm. to share their, their pain with each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, one, maybe one more question before a final question. How about that? Okay. I've got so many things that I want to ask you about. <laughs> right. Um so you had mentioned, um, you kind of went through the look at each other, hand gaze, learn how to break the cycle, that kind of thing. Um, and I want to just explore that breaking the cycle really briefly. Okay. Um, all right, I think you're talking about a vicious cycle of behavior of where, where you yes. kind of react in the same way, right? Yeah, you're reacting to each other and, and you can't get out of the reactions. Yeah. Okay, so how this is, I don't know if you can even answer this because it's such a broad question, but how do you break the cycle? So using the example that you gave of um, one one person comes home late for dinner, the other person gets frustrated because they're taking care of kiddos and trying to, they've been making dinner and all of these things. So that person uh, retracts, the other person is confused as to why aren't you excited to see me, right? The cycle continues. So what would be an example of how you could break that in that example? Hopefully right. people can take some things and brainstorm yeah. other ways, but how could you break the cycle? 
you're not going to break it in the moment. What you have to do is find a time when you're not in the cycle. Okay. You have to sit down with your partner and you have to say, so we have this cycle that happens. And what I've noticed is when I do this, you do this, and then I do this, and then you do this. And it's really destructive for our connection. Mm -hmm. And I want us to look at the cycle as something that we team up against uh, together. We, we're going to do this. We are against the cycle. So when one of us falls into the cycle, the other one would hopefully say, I think we, we are falling into the cycle again. Maybe we need to take a quick five minute timeout and then try to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Something like that. I know in, you know, if they were in therapy with me, you know, I would, I would intervene. I would stop them. I would get, um, get, uh, the, get them both down deeper into their feelings, find out what was active, making them do the, you know, do what they were doing. But mm-hmm. without a therapist, you actually need to get, you can't in the moment, it takes a lot of skill in the moment and practice to stop it in the moment when it's happening. You have to be able to turn your, change your brain in the moment, Mm -hmm. stop it and reach towards your partner and they have to accept the reach. So that's detach a little bit from the emotion and negative emotion. Yes. Yeah. Because the emotion, the emotional brain is just hijacked the the cognitive brain. So you got, so yeah, you don't, but you also don't want to be cut off from your emotions. It's really, right. There's an interesting little line there yeah. where you have to be in touch with your emotions, but when your emotional brain hijacks your logical brain, well, then you're, you're, you can't, you can't stop it. You're caught. Mm-hmm. Which brings so, us all the way back to self-awareness, huh? Yeah. To self-awareness and, and practicing re yeah. with your partner, rebuilding mm-hmm. how you respond. Yeah. And I can't say as though the the thing that kind of came to my mind, I can't say as though that's a vicious cycle for us. Um, but maybe it's because almost daily when um, my husband is leaving work, he'll either shoot me a message or give me a call, you know, or give him, give me the ETA of his arrival. So it just is not a, a thing. Um, but, it, but that to me would be a proactive break to a cycle as well. Yes. To well, say, that's, I'm going to over communicate, right? Right. That's him. Um, for whatever reason, I don't know if he's worried about you, you know, being worried about him or if he has his own, you know, he has an insecurity that you, whatever. I think he, he knows is, it's because I'm cooking dinner and I want it to be hot. <laughs> right. So he's taking care of you by letting you know, yeah, this is what's going on so that yep. you can plan for his arrival, which is really considerate. And, um, and if it works for you, it's great. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, fascinating. Okay, Jennifer, this has been a really interesting conversation. I'm so grateful for you just sharing your insights, your your expertise with us. Um, I ask every guest that comes on Lead Them to Life if there is a question that they have been pondering. And really this comes, you're going to love this as a therapist because really it comes from um, just this knowledge that good questions can lead to a lot of great discoveries about ourselves and about other people. So I want to know if there is a question that you have been pondering that you could leave with our listeners and you can't answer your own question. Oh, okay. I can't answer my own question. Okay. Um, hmm. Okay. This question is how I've been pondering, not just recently, but for a long time. Okay. (laughs) Is how to get uh, people and couples to recognize the need to really make time to focus on their relationship. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Because people really get caught, they get caught up in survival, basically, working, mm-hmm. uh, the phone, the internet, and the focus on 
creating, growing and make turning, helping ourselves become the best selves we can be seems to get pushed to the wayside. Mm -hmm. So it's just a a question I've been Mm -hmm. pondering for a while. Like what, what, what would helps people go? Not I'm trying to relieve a pain, but I want to grow. Yeah. I shift from, I want to get out of pain to, I want to be the math. I want to have relationship mastery, or I want to be self-actualized to my highest degree, or, you know, Mm -hmm. I I do wonder about, you Mm -hmm. know, what, what it is that make, makes that. um, Yeah. Yeah. And why are certain couples without ever having trauma naturally more oriented towards doing the work of right, like, yeah. building some, up their relationship? Yeah. Some, some people have not. it. They're like, I'm doing it. And other people don't, it doesn't, it's not even on the map. Yeah. Oh, so. that is a good, I am proud of you. <laughs> great, great question to be pondering. Okay. Jennifer, where, where can people find, um, we Concile, which is that program that you kind of mentioned at the beginning, yeah. um, and other information about you and your work. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, www.weconcile. Like reconcile, but weconcile. Yes. W-E-C-O-N-C-I-L-E is where you can, and I have a blog. It's, if you go to Weconcile, you'll see a blog up in the menu. And I do a lot of writing about relationships to help people tackle, you know, I feel lonely in my marriage or, you know, I want more sexual intimacy or, uh, I have a a depressed spouse or, you know, there's a lot, I do a lot of art writing. Um, So there's a lot of resources there. If, even if you don't want to, you know, give the program a shot. Um, We also have a quiz. It's called the relationship quality quiz. It's only 10 questions. So it's really quick and it map, it gives you um, uh, feedback of not just a score, but six areas and where you score in those six areas. Cool. So it's worth taking just to, to see where you're strong and where you're weak in terms of, you know, conflict versus hope versus uh, um, uh, feeling safe, that community, you know, that yeah. kind of stuff. So that's, that's totally uh, going to be our next date night activity. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> so <laughs> it's conversation starter slash quiz. Great. To get to the quiz. Great. I, have a, I also have a website called jenniferlearmft.com and that's okay. just my personal website and it has a different blog on it. It's a non, it's more about my personal writing and okay. has um, healing tips for individuals as opposed to couples on it. Okay, great. And um, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram and it's all at Weconcile. All that, okay. Um, Pinterest and you're all well, over the place, nice. Jennifer. Um, Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing your insights with us, friends. I'll tag all of that information in the show notes if you're interested in learning more. And I hope that you might share this relation or this podcast with a friend, especially one who's really intentional about growing in their relationship, growing in their marriage, or is preparing for marriage, perhaps, um, so that we can all take a little step deeper into the relationship God has ordained for us. Hope to see you next time. Bye.